Sucker, written by Mark Lingane, narrated by Mark Lingane, copyright 2014, episode 11. I had sat back against a brick wall of one of the liquor shops directly underneath a lamp and had nursed my head until there was some life back on the streets. I wondered if Phoenix had a twin brother. The records bank wouldn't be open for hours. I'd have to wait and check on his family. The line of hookers kept haunting me, some scented lace network of trouble or a nest. The word triggered a recollection. I glanced at my watch. The government wouldn't be awake for hours, but nosy neighbors might. I hitched down to Templeton on the night 35. I was relieved that this one had a guard, a solid fat man with a face full of scars. He filled me with a sense of security, although he said nothing and stared at me, his eyes full of hatred and suspicion. Still made me feel safe, though. I wandered down Templeton, counting off the numbers as the early morning sun blinked above the horizon. It felt lonely without Jamoke Man with his magnetic smile and entertaining dialogue tagging along. The Joe would have been a welcome jumpstart juice as my eyes began to feel the weight of a painful night in the deprivation of a decent slumber. The sun crested above the whistling scarf, pouring the daylight over the land like a golden syrup and molasses in a billion-year-old death match. The places around looked like they were in lockdown. Night was not your friend around here, often bring an unwanted intrusion if you weren't sufficiently steeled against onslaught. One old place looking the worst part of 200 years old was set back against the blacktop, allowing the occupant, currently sweeping his yard, a mean strip of green where he could place himself in leer and be abusive at the passing trade. I stopped and lifted my hat to him. He wore nothing but a baggy set of old-timer pants with braces and a singlet that did spare time as a tablecloth and napkin. His wild gray hair matched his eyes. He chewed his upper lip as I approached him. You were here before, wasn't ya? Yesterday, you and that darky. He spat on the ground. I ignored his slur, putting it down to the influence of a bygone age and an enfeebled mind born of ignorance. You know anything on 667? I nodded over toward the pile of rubble. He gave me a suspicious once-over with his withered eye. He stood staring at my face, leaning on an old rake. I ain't seen anyone as beat up as you before, and I seen the match between Jandis and Welcott when they came through town, when this place was a town, on the championship circuit. There had never been blood like it before. It's been a bad day. I gave him a smile. He did not reciprocate. I can see that. I'm guessing the night has not been your friend either. Lady Trouble. You're an observant man. I keep my wits about me when I needs to. Tell me about 667. They had a whole heap of them hookers. You sure they were hookers? They all dressed like them all the time, wandering around in barely more than them trashy secrets. With their hair done up in that fancy thing they do, make it all white. I generally didn't have the mind to know it as an old man. I don't get much in that way of silky smooth skin. 
I ain't got long left on this planet, so I get what pleasures I can. You take any pictures? He let out a low laugh and shook his finger at me. There was a faint glint in his eyes. I'm guessing that meant he had a whole album full of them, but was never ever gonna let them out of his grubby little hands. What about the explosion? It was a loud bang which rattled my windows, but they was built in a time when things was built rather than prefabricated. Then there was like this sucking sound. A few moments after that, them police was all over the place with them sirens and trucks and them big sniffer dogs. A few moments? Yeah, it was real quick. Unusual. When I call them, they take hours to get here if they bother to turn up at all. What do they do? The old timer stared at me before unloading a mouthful of flame onto his sorry excuse of a yard. Kicked around the rubble, looking for survivors, finding witnesses. They try to catch the landlord, him being the only survivor, but he ran away. They never catch him. He runs like the wind. Who's he? I don't know his name. The old man's eyes flickered around until he pitched his balls over the fence into crazy town. He was cursed. He rumbled. Something was up with him, like the devil. I watched him as I grew. Man and boy, I've lived in this house. He was always the landlord of that house, and he never aged a day. There were plenty of reasons to go back to my office, the foremost being to escape the deranged rambles of an old man Lulabelle. With the onset of recent continual visitations from the trash men, it would only be a matter of time before they started to unearth things in their ongoing efforts to redecorate the place in an award-winning style of nouveau villainaires. I cruised past the yellow box where I'd hired a locker to secrete a few things in my life that held any kind of value to someone other than myself. The morning was in, sitting around the day with a sour expression as I made my way into my building. The place was generally quiet except for the few occupations that needed the space and freedom of the early hours to do their work. You caught the occasional squeak from the beams where the local taxing forces, when they finally looked at themselves in the mirror, had seen the truth and decided to do the only civil thing involving said sturdy beam and a thick rope. The man in the elevator let out a low rumble of some form of salutation, creeping up out of the bowels of his throat before rolling over you in a cloud of ingrained nicotine pollution that did little more than make you cough. It certainly didn't smell welcoming. The corridor was being noisily vacuumed by the cleaner who got part-time work as a stop sign. He didn't look up as I stepped over his thrusting hands, awkwardly maneuvering around him with my cargo. Inside the office, I put down the frame and the gold record and poured myself a shot of stress relief. I opened the window to let some air and then put my feet up on the desk. All was quiet, except for the vacuum. I looked over to the gold record. I was hoping there was a clue in the jargon's death gaze. I ran my hand over the smooth glass. The prize underneath, so slender and inconsequential, meant so much to so many. Gold. We were all a race of magpies collecting shiny trinkets when all we needed was food and shelter. I wondered if there was a reason it was only one letter away from God. Once we got past the superstitions we created to guide us through the desperate fear of the night, 
from our subsistence living with the back of the cave, we flipped into these crazed horrors driven by a deep-seated hunger for excess. Maybe we used it as a buffer to stop us falling back into the darkness of those primal fears. The more you had, the more you could lose and still be safe. And the mightiest more of all was the lure of gold, and we would do anything to get it, selling out our most precious ideals for the opportunity of a few flakes. And what did we really worship? To be nothing less than we were yesterday. And the vacuum droned on. It occurred to me the rhythmic phasing had faded to be replaced by the steady noise. That meant no one was pushing it. I placed the gold record onto my desk and looked out into the corridor. The vacuum was lying down in the corridor. The cleaner was absent. In its place were two people. The tall woman turned to face me. She was wearing black pants, a set of loafers, and an expression as sour as a dough from hell. When life gave her lemons, she shoved them in her cheeks. Her accompanist was a tall, thin joker with a smile as wide as a canyon and small eyes too close together. He wore a pinstriped zoot suit that reeked of cheap cigarello smoke. His head twitched with distracting regularity. An occasional giggle slipped out between his thin lips. He took his air in through his large nostrils with a hooked nose that doubled as a boat anchor. Where's Spiky? I asked him. They looked at each other. Eventually the woman spoke, lifting her nose and closing her eyes. The thin, angular face emanated a calm and assurance and a voice commanded rather than conversed. Are you Mr. Avram? I nodded. She shifted her focus and studied the lettering on the door. What does the H stand for? Halitosis. I replied. Counsel perhaps for the uninitiated and unanticipated or perchance a divine entreating sympathy or incomprehension? A warning, don't stand close. We shall risk the sea of uncertain dread exultation and hope we can converse in words comprising a minimal collection of hard consonants. Her face wriggled around. I assumed she was cracking a joke and her mouth was trying to join in on the excitement. May we intercourse with you in your multi-purpose abode? I shrugged and let them in. If nothing else, my vocabulary may expand in unusual ways. The lady sat in my visitor's chair. Mr. Bird twitched around my office chair. I gave him a warning and he retreated to the safety of the corner behind his captor. I looked at both of them. Even though they were as different as Warren neighbors, there were some facial similarities. My associate recessed into provision is Mr. Bird. As you see, he is a mite petulant due to the circumstances. You got a name, I said. You can call me Miss Early. I hope we are in time. In time? I gave her a match and set of quizzicals, one each. We are experiencing undue distress with a particular individual who has been causing difficulty for an extended duration. A difficulty that is apparently embedded within the descent of a genealogical fraternity. Nepotism can often be like that. The two people in front of me looked like perfect advertising for that fact. I, we, are the recipients of a cavalcade of commentaries and interpretations, even descriptive intelligences about the said individual who you may be associated with. Are you aware of this woman? She flicked over a photo of a young lady, giving a scared glance over her shoulder. It was Angelina. Are you aware of her current locale? 
I ain't seen her. She placed a photograph of the two of us talking. I looked at it and spun it back at her. It ain't me. Miss Early stared at me, tapping her long nails on the old desktop. Mr. Bird seemed to be expecting his own kind of trouble. Behind the back of Miss Early, he danced in some bizarre movement that looked part ritual and part drunken wedding guest. He was becoming distracted, but not as distracting as the next line. We believe she may be in possession of some particular family heirlooms that she may have come into without the appropriate procedures. It has been related to me that the monetary reward is handsome if you can contribute to our knowledge acquisition of said individual. I'm always a sucker for that kind of argument. Monetary reward? I tilted my head trying to partially distract myself from the behavior behind her, but you can never completely block out a psychotic as he may be carrying a weapon. She slowly moved her hand from her bag, bringing up a battered leather purse, cracked and brittle. She opened it and took out a sentry, waving it in front of me. She laid it down and smoothed it out. This is an untithed gift for you. Consider it an expression of regret over her unexpected appearance. Miss Early then took out another nine and laid them out across the table. They took up the entire width of the wood. It was almost enough to buy the office outright. It was two-thirds of the way to a bungalow out past the burbs, a peaceful place where you could live out your existence in a bubble of serenity. Mr. Berg continued his bizarre steps, his arms flapping over his head. In his own mesmerizing way, it made her request reasonable. That's when I knew something odd was up. I slowly opened my lower drawer and took out a silver-plated cigarette lighter in the shape of a contraband Luga 311. I knew it was out of fluid, so there was going to be no unexpected flames appearing from the top and ruining the impression. You know this. Mr. Bird stopped his insane flapping and focused on the gun. His beady eyes tracked the barrel with intense concentration. Miss Early pulled a face of disgust and peered down her extensive nose. I ain't heard or seen her. The reiteration seemed to sink in. You could just say that the offensive initiative with the handheld weapon is not a requirement to the expedient completion of this interaction. I was born that way. I will leave the money for you as authorized. It will guide your decision. There was a moment again like Silby. It hurt to decline the temptation. Saying yes would make all the troubles go away, and I would be content in that little bubble of happiness. Take it with you. Sure, she said. Her voice dipped with honey. The pain hammered down. Compliance wanted to slip off my tongue. What was Angelina to me? Just some bent chick with a broken understanding of her place in the world. And the little seed of doubt sitting at the back of my mind burned and the point between my shoulder blades itched like tomorrow was slipping off the menu. Remember my name. I cocked the pistol. Mr. Bird went crazy shrieking and howling. We won't be forgetting, Mr. Avram. Her voice was as cold as yesterday's coffee. Who sent you? That we can't tell you. I wiggled the pretend gun at them. I could see their reflections bouncing off the silver. Both of them were damned concerned about it. I'd seen shakers before and none of them were ever putting a flap over a gun being drawn on them. They all knew it took a big set of fluffy dice to pull the trigger. Normally the people with the dice don't wait. They extract their firearm to jour and shoot you. The 
is never part of the conversation. It's the closure from a person who doesn't like to talk too much or doesn't want you to talk too much either. Upstate marriages use them a lot. What if I shoot you? Then we definitely won't tell you. I didn't say both of you. There was a moment of unfriendly silence in the room. I didn't like it and it wasn't welcome. I put the gun down. Tell me or go. Will you take the case? She is not the person she is telling you she is. Look into her past. You might be surprised with what you find. Mr. Burr let out a high-pitched squeal that upset everyone in the room, including himself. Mrs. Early gave him a sharp look. You might be interested to know most people around you are not who they appear to be. She paused, momentarily lost in thought. Then she did her weird smile thing at me. It's for the greater good. Will you help? I looked at the photograph of Angelina again, then flicked it back onto the table. No. Then we shall go. Good day, Mr. Avram. As the door closed, the pain lifted from my head. It was an interesting message they purveyed, threat and warning all wrapped up in a warm burrito of candy. She had left a sentry on the table. I picked it up and looked at both sides of it. Could be handy down in the stylus, it might even cover my bar tab.